Hi, welcome to the Honest to Goodness podcast. I'm Janet Jacks, the founder of Goodness Me Natural Food Markets and the author of Discover the Power of Food. And I'm her daughter, Emily, a healthy mom and food lover seeking balance in this crazy life. So here at Honest to Goodness, we want to share and explore our own experiences with wellness and give you a glimpse into our lives and the challenges we face as we try to live as healthy as possible. And we also want to explore all of those headlines out there that send you running from one way to another way and you never know what to think. And I love that I could just bring my little uh, Jane, who's almost four months, and, you know, a lot of moms would love to probably bring their babies and kids along with, well, maybe not, but it's <laughs> nice to have this sweet one here with me today. This morning, I cannot stop thinking about how we just can't shake this whole low carb article. And we discussed this on our last podcast where a lot of the news and all sorts of different news um, articles were talking about it, that there was this so-called study that discussed um, about these low carb diets taking years off your life and we discussed how this wasn't really a concrete study and it's just not a concrete article and I'm still seeing people sharing this on social media people commenting on it and what I see is not bashing it or people not knowing what to do with it they're being misled they're fearful for you know cardiovascular health and all sorts of things that come with this so-called low-carb diet, which we discussed in our last podcast. So if you haven't listened to that and you want to hear more, but I really, you know, we've discussed that. We've discussed, you know, the coconut oil article that was kind of saying this is the worst thing you could ever eat. And I'm just feeling like sad because I think some of these people might be missing out on real true health and vibrance because they're afraid and I totally understand that but mm -hmm. it's that misconception mm -hmm. that won't leave us so you know being published in the Lancet gives it a lot of credibility and that's one thing that got people really paying attention to it we do have to remember it is a meta-analysis of older studies uh, you know it's a new way of looking searching for new keywords as they were studying that and you know their conclusion was both high and low carb diets are a problem but remember that we posted on our show notes for last week's podcast an excellent interview with a British physician who absolutely says we should not be worried about that and shows the true way to eat. And he is someone who is using this in his practice, who's seeing the problems that people in Britain have with eating processed foods and sugar and carbs and absolutely says this is not science. This is just an association. It is not a study per se and helps to put it in perspective. So I really would encourage people to listen to that and I also want to remind us all that it takes a long time for long held views to be changed. And for a long time, we've believed that, you know, fat is the enemy and that, you know, we need to run away from it. And I want to remind us of how we used to feel a long time ago, not us, but our ancestors, about hand washing. And when the idea that washing your hands could stop people from dying, like moms were dying of infection because doctors had gone from doing post-mortem dissections and going and delivering babies without washing their hands. And they did not believe, how could there be germs on my hands? They don't look dirty. And it took a long time for that to become accepted. But look how it's gone now. It's gone from accepted to highly recommended to almost like we're overdoing the hand washing. But it took a long time for that attitude to change. So let's give this time as well and not go running off and saying, oh, you know, I'm really worried about this. 
It's not the association. It's not the strength of study that the headlines would make us believe. Mm -hmm. And from one hot topic to the next, we can dive right into our main topic today. And we want to talk about something that you may be surprised would be a hot topic, but it's nutrient deficiencies. And what are some nutrients we might need to become aware of? And there's an article that we both read, Mom, and, you know, it it points out a couple different nutrients and maybe some of the signs, and surprisingly, that North Americans can be deficient. I am not surprised that they can be deficient. I'm surprised that people are surprised that they can be deficient. Um, Our food quality, we're eating so many processed foods and so much sugar, we're eating so much that's not nutritious. How can we be super nourished? But I guess the the hard thing to face is that even when we're eating, you know, high quality food, fresh food, and we're doing our best, we still can be lacking some nutrients in our modern lifestyle. And that, that's frustrating, but that is very true. I think we often think of things like scurvy for vitamin C deficiency. We don't see those kind of extremes anymore because we have such quantity and abundance, but not necessarily an abundance in nutrients. And in fact, there was... 43 garden crops that they were looking at from 1950 to 1999. So there was a reliable decline in six important nutrients in these crops. So it was roughly 15 to 38% decline overall in these ones, calcium, iron, B2, phosphorus, and vitamin C. And that's just one study. In another study, 20 commonly eaten vegetables were published in the British Medical Journal, and it looked like the calcium content declined 19%, iron has declined 22%, and potassium by 14%. And what's not also mentioned is things like protein have also declined. And when you hear these kinds of statistics, you know that our food, you know, carrot is essentially a carrot that was, you know, 50 years ago, 100 years ago, and that there's a steady decline in the nutrient density. So even if we're going for some of these healthier foods, yes, we're better off and we are going to get more nutrients, but we're still getting less. And that's not to mention most people are grabbing and going and not thinking about nutrients when they're purchasing food. I'm a firm believer that we can nourish ourselves to health and we can really, really feel different. And that means getting the best food we can and eating that as often as we can. But there are indications that we need to do more. Now, in this article that we will put on our podcast notes, they highlight seven or eight different deficiencies that are common. But the thing that I like to take issue with is that they make it sound very simplistic in terms of what you need to do or what the reasons for those or the symptoms you might have or, you know, the implications of those deficiencies, a very shallow representation. For example, they talk about vitamin D and basically say, you know, uh, this is about your bones. You need your vitamin D for your bones and uh, also for fatigue, muscle aches, or weakness. So it makes it sound like, you know, if I don't have those problems, I probably have enough vitamin D. But that is not true. And before 2000, nobody really thought about it, assumed everybody had enough vitamin D. But there has been, I think, 34,000 different studies on vitamin D in the past um, couple of decades, just showing how much interest there is and how many things are affected. So just for example, it affects our risk of heart disease. It affects our risk of cancer. It's really important for mood. It's important for Alzheimer's disease, for autism, for common cold and flu, for different kinds of skin problems like eczema. And, you know, yes, for bone, but what about, you know, fibromyalgia and migraines and for our metabolism? 
um, there's neurological conditions. There are so many things that are related to vitamin D because now we know that every cell in the body has receptors for vitamin D. And what does that mean? It means that every cell needs vitamin D. And it's interesting that those who study vitamin D find that basically about 50% of us are at risk of having a low vitamin D. And yet at the same time, we're afraid of the sun. Well, now here in North America, especially in Canada, we're having diminished sun. And for the next six months, we aren't going to do a good job of getting vitamin D from the sun. Not that we shouldn't get outside and get a little sun once there, but it's not generally strong enough to give us the ability to make vitamin D out of that. So we want to maximize sun exposure without getting burnt during the summer months. And then in the winter, we really want to be sure that we're getting enough vitamin D. So right about now is when we should think about getting you know, D drops or some other D supplement or cod liver oil in order to fulfill those needs. And, and you're right, it's about six months of kind of poor quality sun um, that we're not going to be able to get the D that we need to sustain our body function. Mm. And Dr. Michael Hollick, who studied vitamin D for maybe 40 years, and he actually was uh, responsible for identifying the major circulating form of vitamin D, which is 25-hydroxyvitamin D that doctors typically measure now for vitamin D status. He says we shouldn't just go for the average or normal range, but we should actually be aiming to be in the optimal range. And really, the only way you can know... If you have enough vitamin D, it's not waiting for all of these terrible things to happen to you. He said 50% of adults and up to 70% of kids are deficient in vitamin D. So, you know, we can have our vitamin D status tested and we have to pay for it. But you don't need a new sweater. You just need to find out 25-hydroxy vitamin D and you can go into a lab and I believe it's 35 or $40, and get your vitamin D tested. And uh, he also recommends that the average supplement that he'll use with his patients is around three or 4,000 if they're deficient to bring that up. And then you can check again to see if it's come into line with where you want to be. So he says 125 to 175 is the optimal level of 25-hydroxy vitamin D that he would recommend. So what you should do is just go in, get your vitamin D tested. You can actually just pay for it right up front at the lab, and then you'll know kind of what range you're in and whether you need to be on a maintenance dose or if you need to boost it up to something like three or three or 4,000 IUs. Another interesting one that they did mention in the article that caught my eye and, and is that I'm very passionate about is the iron deficiency. And uh, the World Health Organization says that about 2 billion people worldwide are iron deficient and that 20% of maternal deaths are... Did you say 2 billion? 2 billion. 2 billion, not million. (laughs) And 20% of maternal deaths are also due to low iron anemia. And also, not only that, those ones are more extreme, but low levels may cause issues in babies with their brain development or being, if the mother's iron deficient, the baby may be born premature or with a low birth weight, and it will affect cognitive function, focus, and behavioral development in children and actually adults as well. And if you have, you know, a a slightly low range of iron or to extremely low, such as anemia, you may experience symptoms as an adult, such as fatigue, like you're just never going to have the energy you need to get through the day. You may find you'll have muscle weakness if you try to exert yourself, or you might find you get out of breath very easily, even though, you know, it's not a very difficult physical task. You may find your heart rate is rapid at times or you have palpitations. Um, Some other things to look for is if you find when it's cold, you just can't get your body 
warm enough, you're not retaining heat very well. And some other ones that especially women will notice is with hair loss, uh, is around hair loss, you may find your hair changes or becomes thinner or it becomes brittle and same with your nails becoming brittle. And then some other kind of diagnosis that may be related, could be one of the factors is ADHD because it relates to the brain function and restless leg syndrome as well can be related to iron deficiency. So it's a very important mineral and many people are low because it can be very hard to absorb even though there is plentiful food sources. And some things to know about it, there is there is two kinds of iron, heme iron and non-heme iron. And essentially your heme iron is what's found in animal foods, so your meats and eggs. Non-heme iron is really what you find in your plant foods. That's kind of the simplest form and heme iron is more highly absorbed by the body than non-heme iron but if you actually are getting this non-heme iron in plant foods plant foods such as beans rice grains and soy which is a lot what people are looking for if they're say vegetarian or vegan and they want to boost up that iron they these also contain something called phytic acid and phytic acid will reduce the absorption of the iron that's bound in those foods and that absorption rate can be below two percent so it's very low in non-meat items, really. I mean, you can get some, but it's not the degree that some people need, especially women who are menstruating and during pregnancy Another, as well. Another uh, need is when you're an athlete. Uh, athlete you also well. need more iron. And so what I like to say to people, if they're looking for some good food sources, because absolutely iron can be attained through food if you have good absorption. There's factors that around absorption, though, that could compromise things you know if you have any digestive difficulties but generally speaking if you're eating meats um, especially liver eggs the egg yolk is very high in iron as well spinach people always talk about but if you cook your spinach it actually increases the absorption as well and if you are looking at beans and grains even having it with some vitamin C or properly cooking it can also increase the absorption. Another little tip that I love is using cast iron pans, the non-coated ones. And I have a couple of them and they're kind of the staple cooking item for myself. So I was excited to hear that if you cook your food in it, it boosts up your iron content in the food. And for example, an egg, if you scrambled, did scrambled eggs, it went from one and a half milligrams of iron to four 0.76 milligrams of iron if it was cooked in cast iron Ooh. that significant increase um, and you know I think about children too because we don't test them for low iron and there's a lot of behavioral issues ADHD ADD even focus issues or it even is linked to low IQ and what I like is that with infants they've really changed the way that moms can feed their babies. And so instead of going with the grains first, they're actually promoting meat first. They're also allowing high allergen foods to be introduced at an earlier age, such as eggs. So one of the first foods I fed my other two and will likely try with uh, Jane as well is an egg yolk. So a nice soft boiled egg and then giving her just a bit of the yolk. And that's very high in iron. And that's one of the reasons you want to introduce solids around six months, especially for breastfed babies, because the iron starts to deplete in their body. And we know it's so important. Mm -hmm. So iron's great. And I mean, if you want to supplement with it, you have to really, if you're really low in iron. But if you want to maintain your iron levels, then healthy food options will, will do the trick. Mm -hmm. One of the supplements mentioned as a common deficiency is folic 
stomach acid. I decided to address that one particularly because there's a lot of confusion between folate and folic acid. And these are not the same thing, although they're used interchangeably. So in this article, it says the Institute of Medicine is saying, you know, make sure you get 400 milligrams of folic acid daily, whether through food or a supplement. And to get it from food, go to fortified cereals. Well, fortified cereals have synthetic folic acid. And most supplements have synthetic folic acid. And I think there's a growing body of evidence to say this could be a dangerous thing. We want to get our folic acid from our foods first because then it's in the natural form that the body can use. So leafy green vegetables and, you know, legumes have folic acid. The other place we get natural folic acid is making it in our intestinal tract. And so working on having a healthy digestion and, you know, lots of fermented foods or probiotics can help us do that. But I want to say about low folate has been associated with not only birth defects, but also cancer, neurological problems, all different kinds of things. And the problem with folic acid is that so many of us cannot convert it into the active form. And this is called a methylation So recently, your dad and I did genetic testing and found out that both of us are not good methylators. In other words, we are not able to methylate vitamins. We need to make sure the B vitamins we take are in the methyl form or we get them from naturally from food. And the other thing that you need to know is that they said virtually 100% of our children will not be good methylators. And this is a much more common problem than we realize, and it's a growing problem. More and more people are not able. So the relevance able. for me is that I should be looking to food sources for my um, folic acid or my folate, mm-hmm. and also the proper form if I was going to supplement with, a, say, a multivitamin or a prenatal or just a pure folic acid supplement, I should be looking for the methyl form of folate. So we'll yes. link that up in our notes. Yes, it's um, very important. And I think because people don't know if they're good methylators, it's important to choose the methyl form or get it from your food and not the folic acid form, which is much cheaper for supplement manufacturers to put into their supplements. To choose to put the methyl form is a more significant choice toward a really healthy product, but that's what we need to do. I also wanted to mention about multivitamins because I'm a believer in a multivitamin, although it doesn't do everything. But two studies I want to point out briefly. In the elderly, they found they measured their blood levels of different nutrients and they found that 68% were deficient in selenium, in zinc, uh, 75% deficient in vitamin C, 70% deficient in folic acid, and so on and so on. They were very deficient in those years and they gave them a supplement for two years and they found that the incidence of infectious disease dropped by approximately 200% in that group. But then what about younger people? So 138 healthy young adult participants over 16 weeks taking a multivitamin found reduced stress, less physical fatigue, less anxiety just in 16 weeks of taking a multivitamin. So a multivitamin is good, but make sure it's good quality. And then we need to look at some of these individual things for our own particular need. We will link up some of the good quality multis, a few options for you, because shopping for multivitamins, you're really not comparing apples to apples often. There's some amazing ones, and then there's some where you better, you're better off not taking it at all. Exactly. So we'll link up some really good quality ones for you to have a look at if you're interested with all the methyl forms and, and such that we talked about. But I should also mention, if you know, I really like... Um, 
heme iron supplements if you're looking at an iron supplement or uh, food-based iron supplements which I can also link up in the podcast notes and mostly because people get so uh, constipated or their stomachs get upset when they're taking conventional iron supplements so most people just suffer through the consequences of low iron because the consequences of their iron supplement is so harsh on their body so we'll link that up as well because so many people would like to get their iron levels boosted up and they just can't seem to uh, tolerate the regular supplement. You can test for some of these nutrient deficiencies, but you really can't test for them all. So that can be really tricky. Like your body can't tell you if you're vitamin D deficient, but you can get a blood test for it. And you can feel the effects of low iron, but you can also get a blood test for that. But things like folate and B vitamins, a lot of those you can't actually test to see if you're in fact low. And so sometimes we are riding on these slight deficiencies and we have no signs or symptoms. Mm -hmm. So the article can be a little bit misleading in the fact that you may be able to tell all these things about yourself when in fact you might not be able to. Mm -hmm. Some things are easier to tell than others for sure. Uh, So, you know, what do we think that people should do? Well, first of all, I think we need to recognize that when we read an article like this, the symptoms that are listed are just a few examples. There are lots of other symptoms. So you want to really get in tune with your body. And secondly, a multivitamin is a good idea because we know that it can cover a lot of the territory. So thirdly, we need to make sure that we're getting sources of these foods naturally as much as possible. So including lots of leafy greens in our um, in our weekly menus and just as an example of a way to get folic acid or you know making sure we're getting sources of iron that's the first thing get it from your food if you can and then be aware that you can supplement to meet those needs uh, based on your own individual needs in addition to a multivitamin so paying attention to what your body says and what your blood tests say and then acting accordingly but it matters because Nutrients are essential. Your body runs on nutrients and it needs those nutrients to do what it's supposed to do. So let's leave it there and we'll be back with more of Honest to Goodness right after this little break. This episode is brought to you by Genuine Health Fermented Vegan Organic Protein. Fermented proteins contain bioactive nutrients that nourish the gut lining and strengthen digestive health. So the gut becomes more efficient at absorbing nutrients. With better absorption, no bloating after effects, and ingredients that prime the gut, Genuine Health Fermented Vegan Organic Protein Powders are the best choice for your energy, gut health, and overall wellness. Get 20 grams of protein from 7 plant-based organic sources in this delicious, smooth blending protein in either vanilla or chocolate or coconut. Welcome back to Honest to Goodness. In our second segment, we answer questions from listeners and offer some advice from our own experience. You can send your inquiries to questions at goodnessme.ca. What are our questions today, Emily? We have a question from Jody, and she asks, Hi, Emily and Janet. I recently have been getting seven to eight hours of sleep, but every morning I still feel exhausted and struggle to get out of bed. Any ideas why I feel exhausted after getting a decent rest? Hmm. I think her circadian rhythm could be upside down. (laughs) You know, we're supposed to have high cortisol, higher cortisol in the morning to wake us up and help us get going with our day and lower cortisol at night. But a lot of people are staying up late at night, um, having high cortisol at night, and you have to get that cortisol from somewhere. So they're sort of borrowing it from the morning. And that can make you feel draggy and just like not a morning person doesn't begin to describe it. 
A good solution for that is to rebalance that circadian rhythm is using melatonin, which I definitely needed last night. I had one of those nights where I just couldn't settle my body. I couldn't get to sleep. And I need to use a lot of different tools to kind of get myself there, which one, one tip is if, if you're, you know, it sounds like she might be getting enough sleep, but some people need more sleep or they're not making enough melatonin to feel rested or they're, like you said, their cortisol's high. So then they can't make that deep rest uh, with their melatonin because their cortisol has to come down in order for the melatonin to be produced in the uh, right quantities. Mm-hmm. Um, so melatonin supplements can help to kind of rebalance that whole circadian rhythm, get people to bed at a little bit better time. And some people do need more hours of sleep. There's certain types that can do well with less, but some people may need a little bit more. And then the idea of adrenal fatigue, which is kind of a bigger topic, but if they're really struggling to get out of bed in the morning and they're just exhausted all the time. They might have something called adrenal burnout, which is really comes from a long line of stress after stress and not supporting the body with that. Um, so if that's kind of you, then you may need to be getting more sleep for a time and look at other ways to reduce mm-hmm. stress. Mm-hmm. One, one way to begin too is having a one day a week sleep in restoration. One day a week when you don't set the alarm and sleep as long as you can, sometimes can help you to begin to restore that adrenal function. We have another question here from Andy. He asks, lately I can't escape turmeric. I see it in cold pressed juices. My friends are adding it to their smoothies and my local coffee shop even makes a turmeric latte. Are there health benefits to consuming turmeric and should I jump on this turmeric train? It's funny, isn't it, how uh, trends come and go, and we certainly have uh, a lot more awareness of what is good about turmeric. What I like about this situation is that turmeric is a healthy spice, one that you know many North Americans haven't been that familiar with, uh, but it is a main component in curry, and if you like curry, you've been eating turmeric. And we know that it has an anti-inflammatory effect. So using it as a spice, pressing it into juice, uh, using it in your cooking, this is a good thing to do. And uh, just a, a couple of things. It seems to be absorbed better into the bloodstream in the presence of fat. So if we look to traditional Indian cooking, we see they would use ghee and they would add their spices to the ghee first and give them a quick uh, stir fry before they add their vegetables or meats. And uh, this helps to make the turmeric more absorbable in the body as well as spreading the flavor through the dish more evenly. And it's great to use it in cooking. Some of the benefits people are kind of looking to gain when they use turmeric, things like anti-inflammatory benefits, long-term brain health, and just overall liver health, antioxidant power. There's Mm -hmm. lots of kind of general benefits with turmeric. But in order to kind of get more of a therapeutic shift from turmeric, you really do need to use it every day in a good amount. And that can come from a turmeric powder like the spice Um, but some people don't enjoy taking you know half a teaspoon to a teaspoon somehow getting that down every day so they might use supplements but just using turmeric sporadically still will have benefits because it is a beautiful color with lots of phytonutrients lots of health benefits just in a general balanced healthy diet Mm -hmm. Yeah. So enjoy. (laughs) Exactly. And if you have any questions about health and wellness, or if you found an interesting topic to share with us, send us an email at questions at goodnessme.ca. That's questions at goodnessme.ca. Now time for our last segment, what's for dinner. So what are you making tonight? Well, do you know what I'm making is super nourishing chicken soup because when the seasons change, 
This is a time when our immune system will have a little extra stress. We don't realize it, but the changing weather is a stress on our immune system, and this is a time we often get sick. So I developed change of season soup to help ease that transition. The actual Chinese version, which is very common there, doesn't taste very good. It has a lot of different herbs. So I made a family-friendly, great-tasting, super-nourishing chicken soup with a broth that helps support the nervous system and also the immune system uh, so that we'll get sick less often. And this is a soup that I like to make around once a week in the fall and winter months because it makes many meals. It's useful. Usually the first day I make it, we have it for dinner. And then after that, we might have it as a first course or as a lunch or take it to work. So the broth that you'd use in the super nourishing chicken soup, I've been just drinking that and my kids have been just drinking that straight um, by the cup full hot almost every day or multiple times a day if needed because with that change of season, we were definitely feeling it and some of us are kind of coming down with things. So that's a really good way to kind of strengthen the body. And we really enjoy the taste of just the broth, but it's always really nice to have it in a meal form where everyone will eat it because not everyone wants to drink a cup of broth. And that should do it for this week's episode. So thank you for joining my mom and I this week, and we will see you next time on Honest to Goodness. This episode is brought to you by Genuine Health Fermented Vegan Organic Protein. Fermented proteins contain bioactive nutrients that nourish the gut lining and strengthen digestive health. So the gut becomes more efficient at absorbing nutrients. With better absorption, no bloating after effects, and ingredients that prime the gut, Genuine Health Fermented Vegan Organic Protein Powders are the best choice for your energy, gut health, and overall wellness. Get 20 grams of protein from 7 plant-based organic sources in this delicious smooth blending protein in either vanilla or chocolate or coconut.